following sermon, entitled Christ, Our Chief Prophet, was preached on the morning of November 20th, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this morning to the book of Ezekiel. We read God's Word in Ezekiel beginning at chapter 2, and we will read through chapter 3, verse 11. This is God's inspired and therefore infallible Word to us. Ezekiel chapter 2. And He said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when He spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard Him that spake unto me. And He said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall they know that there hath been a prophet among them. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak My words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, Son of Man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll, that is a scroll of a book, was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. And there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, Cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech, and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint, 
have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart, and hear with thy ears, and go get thee to them of the captivity unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Thus far we read God's Word. It's on the basis of this passage and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 12. This is found in the back of our song books. Immediately after the songs, it's on page 8 in the Psalter I have in my hands. And we use the Heidelberg Catechism as a faithful summary of Scripture to help guide us in our understanding of God's Word and to ensure that the whole of God's counsel is regularly preached to us. Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And why art thou, why is he that is the Son of God called Christ, that is, anointed? Because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Ghost to be our chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, and to be our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us, and also to be our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation he has purchased for us. But why art thou called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus am partaker of his anointing, that so I may confess his name and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and Satan in this life, and afterwards reign with him eternally over all creatures. Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism explains to us the meaning and the significance of the name Christ. It reminds us that the name Christ means literally the Anointed One and thus teaches us about our Mediator that He is the One who was ordained and who is qualified to perform the work of saving His people. And what the Catechism brings out is that as our mediator in that one office there are three aspects to his work he is our prophet our priest and our king that is christ is the fulfillment of all of those old testament offices that served as types shadowy revelations pointing ahead to our savior that briefly is the teaching of lord's day 12 as a congregation we have been we are in the middle of a mini-series on this Lord's Day. We have taken it and broken it up into four sermons. We had two sermons on Christ's prophetic office. We had one sermon on His kingly office. And now we conclude this mini-series in our treatment of Lord's Day 12 by looking at His prophetic office. And I trust you noticed that we took these aspects of his office then in a different order that the catechism takes it. Because the catechism, in answering the question, why is he called Christ, that is the anointed, explained that he is 
first our prophet, then our priest, and our king. And the catechism puts them in that order for good reason, as we'll see during the course of the sermon. We started with priest because starting with priest gave us a better opportunity to explain the whole idea of being anointed and the meaning and significance of that and then how we are partakers of that anointing before we ever got into the aspects of His office. But now having started with the office of priest, having considered the office of king, we now wrap up our mini-series by coming back to the one that the Catechism puts first, namely that Christ is our prophet and teacher. So this morning we consider Lord's Day 12 one final time using as our theme, Christ our chief prophet. Christ our chief prophet. First we'll look at His prophetic ministry. Second, we'll look at His ongoing prophetic work. And then third, at His prophetic people. In order to understand the prophetic work and ministry of our Savior, we must first back up and ask the question, what is a prophet? What belongs to the office and to the work of a prophet? And to answer that question, we will do as we've done throughout this mini-series. We go back to the Old Testament and see what was the office of a prophet then and there and see how Christ is the fulfillment of that. So this first half has this first point has two halves. First, the Old Testament type, and then the New Testament fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And when we look in the Old Testament, we find that a prophet is an official representative of God who having received God's Word from Him, then in turn speaks that Word on behalf of God to the people. That's the basic idea of a prophet. That is, the basic idea of a prophet is not, first and foremost, that he's one who tells the future. That's a part of the work of some of the Old Testament prophets, but that's not the main thing because the main thing for a prophet is that as a representative of God, he receives the Word of God in some way and then he was called to go and to speak that Word unto others. We see that from a general point of view when we study the Old Testament Scriptures. What do we see prophets doing? Well, often they're receiving dreams. They're being given visions where God Himself is speaking directly to them in some way. And in that way, they were receiving the Word of God. But this Word of God wasn't given just to them and for them, but having received the Word, they were then called to go out and to speak that Word in God's name on His behalf so that a prophet's one who receives the Word and speaks the Word. And that's what we find in the chapter that we read. Ezekiel chapter 2 and 3. We find this same dynamic. We see this in Ezekiel's ordination, as it were, at the beginning of chapter 2. God comes to Ezekiel. This is just after he's been given a vision. God comes to Ezekiel and says, chapter 2, verse 1, And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. 
What's going on here? Ezekiel is receiving a word from God. But then having received it, he was to speak that word. Verse 3, And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord thy God. Ezekiel was to go speak the word that God had given to him. And what's especially interesting is that Ezekiel is also given a vision that portrayed this central calling, the central aspect of his work. And that's what we read about at the end of chapter 2 going into chapter 3. Ezekiel is given a vision the end of chapter 2, verse 9. We read, and when I looked, he's given a vision, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll, that is a scroll of a book, was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. So a scroll with writing on both sides. And what's so interesting is what Ezekiel's told to do with it. He's not told, now read it, but instead, chapter 3, verse 1, moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, Eat that thou findest. Eat this roll and go and speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that roll. God's word was to the prophet Ezekiel was to take this word and to internalize it. To consume it. To digest it so that it would become a part of him so that he would receive nourishment from this scroll. Ezekiel, eat this Word. Because a part of your work as prophet is to receive the Word that I give to you. But don't stop there because having eaten it, then go speak that Word. It's the end of verse 1. Go speak unto the house of Israel. And then again in verse 4. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee unto the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. And it's from this that we see that a prophet is one who first receives the Word and then speaks the Word. He receives the Word. And many of the Old Testament prophets were given infallible insights into God's counsel, His will. God gave them direct, special revelation. And again, sometimes that did include some prophecy about what was going to happen in the future. That was not always true. And that was not true of all the prophets. So that a prophet is not one who can tell the future, but a prophet is one who first receives the Word, but then also speaks that Word. And does so on behalf of God with authority. He is the, the mouthpiece of God. And that tells us something of the, the orientation of a prophet, if we can put it that way. He was a representative from God to the people. And that's the exact opposite of the orientation of a priest. A priest was taken from among the people to stand as a representative of the people toward God. 
That's Hebrews 5, verse 1, for example. Hebrews 5, verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. So, the orientation of a priest is that he's coming from the people and facing toward God. The prophet is the exact opposite. The the orientation of the prophet is that he's coming from God. He just received a word from God and now he's facing toward the people. And he stands there as a representative of God to the people. That's the idea of a prophet that we see in the Old Testament. And in this work of receiving God's Word and speaking that Word, these prophets served as types of Jesus Christ as well as agents of our Mediator. First, they served as types of Jesus Christ. That is, these are real Old Testament figures that served as a shadowy revelation pointing us ahead to our Savior. And we say that especially in light of the fact that we know that Christ is the Anointed One. And in the Old Testament, along with priests and kings, we find an example of a prophet likewise being anointed, having oil poured upon him. Specifically, we read of that in 1 Kings 19, verse 16. Elijah was instructed to go and anoint Elisha to be the prophet in his place. But now what's interesting is that that is actually the only example, at least the only one that I'm aware of, of a prophet being anointed. And we might wonder why. What explains why there are so many more examples of priests and kings being anointed and we have only one example of a prophet being anointed? Well, the answer has to do with with a difference between how prophets were given their office in contrast to kings and priests. In the case of kings and priests, most often the office was being passed down from one man to another. That is, it was given by way of succession so that the man who's being anointed is being put into office to replace a man who's either died or is on his way out of the office. There's a succession there. And in the one example of a prophet being anointed, we have that exact same dynamic. Elijah was to anoint Elisha who would serve as prophet in his place. There was a succession there. But normally that was not the case. That there was a handing down of the office. Normally for prophets, they were simply called directly of God and by God to their office. And because they received their calling directly from God, God then would give the gifts directly. There was no need for a ceremonial anointing to show that this man is now functioning instead of the man before him. And again, this is what we see when we look at Ezekiel. If we go back to Ezekiel 2, verse 2, we'll read verse 1 again. And he said unto me, Stand up, Son of man, upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And then we read, And the Spirit entered into me when He spake unto me. And that word Spirit really ought to be capitalized in our King James Bible. It is capitalized in every other translation that I consulted. Because this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. 
God is giving the Spirit. Here's Ezekiel's anointing, his being ordained and qualified to function as a prophet. So prophets are types. And they, they are types of Christ even in this. This direct receiving of the, the call to their office as it were. Because though Christ was anointed at His baptism, He received the Spirit. And in that way, He was equipped according to His human nature to carry out His office. We've also seen in this mini-series that He was appointed to that office in all eternity. Because in eternity, God called Him directly to be His chief prophet. And that's why Christ could perform His work as prophet before He was ever born. That is, the Son of God as prophet was at work already in the Old Testament. He was at work in and through the prophets. And that's why we say these Old Testament prophets are not only types of Jesus Christ pointing us ahead to Him, but they were also secondly His agents. Agents who functioned on His behalf. And we say that especially in light of what we read in 1 Peter 1, verse 11. 1 Peter 1, verse 11 says of the Old Testament prophets that they were, quote, searching what and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. End quote. And the key phrase there is in the middle that the Spirit of Christ which was in them in the Old Testament prophets. That is, the Spirit of Christ was at work already in the Old Testament prophets. He was carrying out His prophetic office in and through them. So that Christ did not begin to be prophet and function as prophet when He began His earthly ministry. But instead, it started in the Old Testament. Sometimes He did this work directly. And we say that in light of those appearances of the angel of the Lord. When you study those passages about the angel of the Lord, it becomes clear that this angel of the Lord is not merely sent by the Lord on behalf of the Lord, but that He is Lord. That this is a a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ. And as the angel of the Lord, He would speak God's Word to the people. Sometimes He functioned directly as prophet in the Old Testament. Other times He did it indirectly through the, the various prophets that we read about in the Old Testament. But now having seen the idea of a prophet and how the Old Testament prophets were types of Christ and agents of Christ and that Christ was at work in and through them, we do want to come to see how Christ is the fulfillment of those Old Testament types. And that's the second half of this first point. Christ is our chief prophet. And that's clear from Scripture Because in the Old Testament, we find a prophecy of a great prophet to come that's explicitly applied to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That prophecy that I am referring to is Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, in which God says to Moses, I will raise them up a prophet from among 
their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And what's notable about this prophecy in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, is that when we come to Acts chapter 3, verse 22, this prophecy is quoted, and it's there applied to Jesus Christ, so that Christ is this great prophet that was to come. As our prophet, he does the exact things that prophets in the Old Testament did. That is, Christ received the word and spoke the word. That's Christ's own testimony to us. For example, in John 8, verse 26, Jesus says, I speak to the world those things which I have heard. Of him that is heard of the Father. Jesus Christ heard of the Father and then he spoke those things to the world. Same thing in John 15, verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Christ received the word and then he spoke that word. So there's a similarity. But yet, because Christ is our chief prophet, there's a difference for Him. There's a difference in how He receives the Word. Because Christ did not need to rely on dreams or visions to know God's revelation. But Jesus Christ has known God from all eternity. He's known God's counsel from all eternity so that He said, so that we read about Him in John 1, verse 18, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. When Christ spoke about our Father, He spoke about the Father as one who's been in the bosom of the Father from all eternity. He knows God perfectly. He's enjoyed communion, fellowship with within the Trinity from all eternity. And thus, it's with that knowledge of God as one who is God that He speaks. So there's a difference in how He receives the Word, but then therefore, there's a difference in His speaking to and that there's a unique authority in the, the way that Christ spoke as prophet. Yes, every prophet had a measure of authority that He spoke on behalf of God, but Jesus Christ all the more so because it was not merely that He spoke on behalf of God, but as the Son of God in human flesh. And truly never did a man speak like that man, Jesus of Nazareth, as He walked upon the face of the earth teaching as a prophet. And indeed, Christ did perform His prophetic office throughout His ministry. This was the main part of His work that was leading up to the cross of Calvary. The cross is the the main thing, but with regard to His ministry, the main thing was His, His teaching, His preaching. And that's what Christ Himself said about His ministry. In Mark 1, verse 38, the disciples come unto Him He's performed a bunch of miracles and they're saying the people want you back to perform more miracles. And Christ says, let us go into the next towns 
that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. Why did Jesus come forth? To preach. Because He's our chief prophet. And really it's His prophetic office, that prophetic aspect, that is on the foreground during His earthly ministry. If you consider Christ's work as consisting of His ministry, His work at the cross, and then His ongoing work at heaven, you can see that He is prophet in all three, priest in all three phases, and king in all three phases, but yet, there is a sort of progression in that in each of those three phases, His ministry, His work at the cross, and His work from heaven, within each of those three, one of the three aspects of His office stands in the foreground. For, for, for Christ first appeared as a prophet. What the people saw is a man teaching and preaching. They saw a prophet working. But then Christ went to the cross whereas our priest, He made the once for all sacrifice for our sins so that His priestly aspect of the office stands on the foreground at the cross, not to the exclusion of the others. And then, having died and risen again, having received His word, he, His reward, He entered into heaven where He now reigns as King. He's still a priest. He's still a prophet. But it's especially the kingly aspect of His office that stands on the foreground now. So during His ministry, Christ especially functioned as prophet. But He was also functioning as prophet at the cross too. For at the cross, it's not as though He stopped being prophet for a period of time and focused only on being a priest, but He was still a prophet. And that at the cross, what is He doing? He is revealing to us our salvation. At the cross, He is revealing to us the truth of God's Word and the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament types and shadows. We could never make sense of the Old Testament Scriptures unless we viewed them through the lens of the cross of Calvary. It's at the cross that Jesus Christ is making known to us, revealing to us our God. And specifically, that our God is both a God of justice and a God of mercy at the exact same time. Because at the cross, Jesus Christ made known to us, He revealed to us that our God is a God of justice who is not going to wink at our sins, who is not going to sweep them under the rug, But our sin is so great, our sin is so heinous, that in order to be reconciled back to our Father, the only begotten Son had to die on our behalf, taking the punishment that we deserve. He showed God's justice and the satisfying of God's justice, but at the same time, Christ revealed God's mercy. Because in Jesus Christ, we have the, the revelation of God providing a substitute, one to, to take our place, the punishment we deserve. 
And thus it's at the cross that we see how God's justice and His mercy are not at odds with each other, but they're in perfect harmony. Christ showed that to us. He revealed that to us at the cross. He is indeed our chief prophet. But now having observed that Christ was working as prophet already in the Old Testament, having seen that He was prophet during His ministry and at the cross, we now want to see that His work continues. There's an ongoing prophetic work of our Savior that has been going on all throughout the Old Testament. That is when Christ ascended up into heaven, sat down at God's right hand as King over all, it's not as though He ceased to be a prophet. He's still a prophet. And as prophet, His ongoing work is twofold. First, His ongoing work is that He has instituted and preserved the ministry of the Gospel. We say that in light of various Scripture passages we read, before I read those notes, this is the external element of His ongoing prophetic office. We'll come to His internal, the internal element. First, the external element. And we see this in Scripture. For example, in Ephesians 4, verse 11, we read about the ascended Lord Jesus Christ that He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. That is, it's the ascended Lord who gave the church these New Testament offices. And not just the offices themselves, but men for the office. And not just men for the office, but He gives the gifts, the abilities, the grace for the men to function in these offices. That's Christ's work. And we see this also in Luke 21, verse 15, for example. Luke 21, verse 15, during the final week of His ministry, Jesus told His disciples, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. Christ said to His apostles who would be sent out as office bearers, I will give you a mouth. That is, I will give you the words to speak from your mouth. I will be at work in your heart to guide you in your ministry. And it's in light of these passages, and there's others, that we recognize Christ continues His work as prophet. And that He has instituted the New Testament office. He's preserved those offices so that as a congregation, we have a a minister of our own. And when the, the minister and the other office bearers faithfully expound God's Word, when they set before us Christ crucified, the explanation, what stands behind that, is that Christ is at work in their hearts as our prophet so that we continue to hear the Word of our God. But not only is there this external element, the the preservation of the ministry of the Gospel, there's also an internal element. And that's the, the second part of His ongoing prophetic work. The internal element is that He effectually teaches His people by His Spirit through that external preaching of the Gospel. And again, we say this in light of Scripture. 
For example, in Mark 16, verse 20, we read, after Jesus ascended into His heavens, we read about His disciples, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. As the disciples are out there preaching, the Lord is working with them in the sense of making that Word effectual. Causing the people who heard that Word to understand that Word. And that's even clearer when we look at a passage like Acts 16, verse 14. Acts 16, verse 14. This is on one of Paul's missionary journeys. We read, And a certain woman woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us. She heard them. That is, she heard that external element. Whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which are spoken of Paul. The Lord, Jesus Christ, opened her heart. That is, He worked in her heart so that she would believe these things. There was an internal work of the Spirit. And this points us to Christ's ongoing prophetic work as our prophet. Because this work that we read about, this internal work, is not limited to these examples, to Lydia, but this is the work that He performs in the hearts of all of His elect people. He takes that Word that's preached or brought in some other way and He he makes it effectual in our hearts and lives. He he applies it to our hearts. He, He uses the Word to work faith in us, to to strengthen our faith. That's His internal work. And what a truly glorious work that is. It's important that we say that because we might be tempted to think that the glory of Christ's prophetic work has somehow diminished now that He's in heaven. Because after all, He's not here on this earth to teach and to preach us anymore. We can't attend some church and have Jesus standing there in the flesh preaching from the pulpit. Instead, He's got to make use of these these sinful earthen vessels, weak men. Surely the glory of His prophetic office has diminished. Not so. Because the internal work continues. And the fact that He is able to continue that internal work by His Spirit through sinful earthen vessels. If anything, that makes it more glorious. That it doesn't have to be Christ Himself speaking in the flesh to a congregation, but that He can work in and through a weak and sinful man to bring the Word and to make that Word effectual. So on the basis of Scripture, we recognize Christ continues His prophetic office. And thus the only question for us is will we hear Him? Because that is our calling in light of everything that we've seen thus far. And that's evident because God Himself gives us that calling. He did that when He spoke to the disciples on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration after 
Christ was transfigured, given a foretaste of the glory that was to come, God the Father spoke from heaven. And we read this while in Matthew 17, verse 5. While he, he, Christ, yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Hear him. Listen to him. Believe on him. Obey him. That's the calling that comes to us as a people in light of Christ's ongoing prophetic work. That is, we are to respond to the Word of God differently than how the people in Ezekiel's day responded. The outset of Ezekiel's ministry that we read of earlier, God warned Ezekiel that by and large, the people will not hear you. It's chapter 3, verse 7, for example. Chapter 3, verse 7, but the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, Ezekiel, for they will not hearken unto me, for all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Is that us? That we will not hearken to the Word of God? Are we too impudent? That is, hard of the forehead, stubbornly refusing to receive God's Word? Are we hard-hearted? When the Word of God comes to us? If we are, there's a warning for us. That God will hold us accountable. And that warning comes out from Deuteronomy 18, verse 19. We quoted from Deuteronomy 18, verse 18 earlier the promise of the great prophet to come. And the very next verse says about that prophet, And it shall come to pass that whoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. I will require of him means I'm going to hold him accountable. I will avenge. And thus this is a warning to all those who refuse to hear the Word of God. And that makes this calling all the more urgent, all the more important. Hear ye Him. Hear Christ when He says to you, believe on Me for the forgiveness of sins. That is, stop imagining that we can ever be righteous in and of ourselves before God. But instead, we are to abandon ourselves and to trust entirely in Jesus Christ for our salvation. We're to hear Christ when He says to us, repent. Turn away from your sin. Stop holding on to that pet sin in your heart and life. Be done with it. We're to hear Him when He says to us, this is My commandment that you love one another. So that we confess the sin of a lack of love toward the fellow member in the body of Christ or our spouse or another family member. 
God the Father says to us about His prophet, hear ye Him. Listen to Him. Believe Him. Obey Him. And in light of the fact that Christ continues this prophetic work through the ministry of the Gospel and through the office bearers, that applies to the Word of God that comes from the office bearers when it's faithful to God's Word. Hear ye Him, Christ, by hearing the office bearers, the elders, when they bring that Word. Because when they bring that Word and it's a faithful exposition of Scripture, they are bringing it with authority on behalf of Christ Himself. So it's not a matter of, well, you can have your interpretation, but I have a different understanding. No. When they bring the Word of God directly to bear on our hearts and lives, the calling is to hear them. To submit to that Word. And if we refuse, if we become impudent and hard-hearted, then God will require it of us. He will hold us accountable. So we've seen that Christ is our chief prophet. That He was functioning as prophet in the Old Testament. That the prophetic aspect of His office was on the foreground in His ministry. That He was still functioning as prophet at the cross. And that this work of prophet has continued all throughout the New Testament, but we're not done yet. Because a part of the good news of the Gospel is that in saving us as His people, He now makes us to be prophets along with Him. That is, He has a prophetic people. For every true child of God is indeed a prophet. And we say that in light of Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And in his sermon explaining that outpouring of the Spirit, Simon Peter quotes from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and following, and said, This is the explanation, this prophecy in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, where God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, indicating that every one of God's people, His chosen elect people, is given the Spirit. We're all partakers of His anointing. But now for our purposes this morning and considering the prophetic office, what is noteworthy is the rest of that prophecy that's quoted in Acts chapter 2. Because the rest of the prophecy reads, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and my servants and on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days my spirit they shall prophesy that is Joel chapter 2 verses 28 and following is a prophecy that all of God's people would be prophets 
and now this is couched in Old Testament language, it is put in the terms of young men seeing visions and old men dreaming dreams. And that does not mean that in the New Testament we're going to have direct special revelation from God that our dreams are somehow God speaking to us, revealing His Word. Not that. But the New Testament application is very simply that we will be given God's Word. We will receive God's Word and be given the ability, the grace to understand that Word. To make sense of that Word. But not only will we receive the Word, we'll also be able to speak it. And that's why this prophecy says, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your My servants, handmaidens, they shall prophesy. Not in the sense of telling the future and what's going to happen, but speaking the Word of God. And doing so with understanding. It's on this basis that we recognize we are all prophets. We've all been given the Word. By the work of the Spirit in our hearts and lives, we're able to understand that Word. To make sense of that Word. And what is more, He empowers us to speak that Word to one another. This is one of the important truths that was recovered during the time of the Reformation. Because the Roman Catholic Church taught that the laity, the ordinary members of the church, could not be trusted to seek to understand and interpret the Word of God by themselves. They had to rely on the clergy, especially the Pope. That's what what the Roman Catholic Church said. And the Reformer said, not so. Scripture says that we're all members of Christ, and as members of Christ, partakers of His anointing, and thus we all partake of this office of prophet. So we've been given this office. But are we using it? Are we in fact taking in God's Word? Do we exercise our prophetic voices? As prophets, we are to receive His Word by faith. So that God's Word to us as a congregation is no different than His Word to Ezekiel the prophet. Eat the scroll Consume the Scriptures. Internalize them. Digest them so that they become a part of you. So that you derive nourishment from the Word of God. Study the Word. Memorize God's Word. Be sure that you are taking in God's Word. Eat the scroll, Ezekiel. And that's His Word to us. Because how are we ever going to speak that Word if we don't first know the Word? The whole idea of a prophet speaking presupposes that he knows God's Word. And for us, there's no excuse. Because we live in a day where every one of us has 
our own copy of the Bible, maybe multiple copies of the Bible. There's not a shortage. It's not as though we don't have it in our own language. Eat the scroll. Consume God's Word. And the encouragement is that when you do, you will find that it is so sweet. That was Ezekiel's experience. Ezekiel 3, verse 3, And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. When we go to God's Word to hear it or to read it, not just to to check something off of our morning to-do list, but truly to hear from God. And we read the Scriptures by faith or sit under the preaching by faith. It is so sweet because it's the Scriptures that reveal to us our God and reveal to us Jesus Christ. It's the Scriptures that tell us everything we need to know in this life about our God, about our salvation, about how we are to worship Him. And so may the sweetness of the Scriptures be the encouragement for us to take in the Word, to receive the Word. But then having received it, let us also speak it. Let us exercise our prophetic voices and recognize this can take on so many different forms. We exercise our prophetic voices by teaching God's Word to one another. Whether that's as parents to children, whether that's as teachers to the students, whether that's in the context of a Bible study, we are to teach God's Word to one another by knowing that Word and then speaking that Word. This was God's Word in Deut- this is God's word in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Here the application is especially for parents, but it's broader than that. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. We do so by teaching. We exercise our prophetic voice by encouraging one another, comforting each other. Because as 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 reminds us that our God has comforted us and we are now to take that comfort whereby we ourselves have been comforted and now comfort one another in the midst of the the trials, the hardships, the difficulties of life. That's exercising our prophetic voice. We do this by admonishing one another when needed. We are able to do that. Paul says so in Romans 15, verse 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So that when there's a brother or sister of Christ who's ensnared in some sin, in a spirit of meekness, patience, we're to bring the Word instructing them. So that if God peradventure, He will grant 
repentance, that the acknowledging of the truth. These are ways that we exercise our prophetic voice. But the catechism calls attention to one in particular. In question and answer 32, when it explains that as Christians, we are members of Christ by faith and thus partakers of His anointing, it says in that connection that so I may confess His name. And clearly, it's our prophetic office that's in view here. But notice, while it could have said that I may teach others, while I may encourage others, while I may admonish others, instead, the catechism chose to focus on so that I may confess His name. That too is a part of exercising our prophetic voices. When we confess the name of our Savior to the world around us. Because Scripture calls us in 1 Peter 3, verse 15 to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. We are to to testify of Jesus Christ. Confessing His name before men. But not just confessing His name out there in the world as a part of our witness, but even here. Amongst each other, we should, it should be a regular part of our conversation that we confess the name of our Savior. For we read in Psalm 66, verse 16, Come and hear all ye that fear God. He's speaking to others who fear God like Him. And he says, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what He has done for my soul. Let me tell you about what God has been doing in my own heart and life. Let me tell you about how He's been so faithful to me, upholding me through this trial, sanctifying me, helping me to put away this sin. Or to confess His name amongst each other. And the reality is if we, if we can't even confess His name amongst each other, how will we ever do it out there in the world amongst unbelievers? A part of exercising our prophetic voice is a willingness to speak about our Savior as those who have received a knowledge of Him. We're to share it with others. And the encouragement for us is Matthew 10, verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess Me before men, him will I confess also before My Father which is in heaven. So may God give us the grace out of thankfulness for our salvation to exercise our prophetic prophetic voice as those who are prophets, priests, and kings. Amen. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Work in us by the Spirit of Christ to apply this Word, to make it effectual, so that it may may serve to nourish us and bear fruit in our lives. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.